0: talk line network radio america's longest running jewish broadcast network the voice of the jewish community welcome to the podcast
1: and now
0: you're listening to talk line with zev brenner america's premier jewish broadcast on the air since 1981 and
1: now here's your host Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. It's always a privilege, always a treat to have Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz with us, the lawyer of Last Resort. He's, I don't know when he finds the time to write all his books, including his latest, The Case for Vaccine Mandates, But uh, but he's also not allowed to speak his mind like he used to. So, Professor, welcome back. Thank you for joining us.
0: Well, thank you. I've actually just written a new book called The High Cost of Principle, How difficult it is today to maintain your principles, do what you think is right in the face of a divided country where you have to pick sides, where you're either for Trump or against them, you're either for Biden or against them, you're either Republican or Democrat, Yankees, Red Sox, you know, (laughs) uh, that's not the way America should be. and 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 people shouldn't be canceled for taking views that others disagree with. And, you know, for years, I was a standard speaker in two places. I spoke once a year, sometimes twice a year at the 92nd Street Y. I was their second most popular speaker after Eli Wiesel. And I always filled up the room. And all of my books were started, uh, promoted there. Chutzpah became the number one New York Times bestseller. I had the in, uh, innovation of it at the 92nd Street Y. But then when I wrote my book called Defending Israel, which is a kind of textbook for how young people should defend Israel, the 92nd Street Y canceled me. Um, they said, oh, they didn't believe for a minute that I had done anything inappropriate with this woman, Virginia Gouffre, who I never met, never heard of, who accused me of having sex with her. They said, we don't believe it, but we don't want to make trouble. And then Temple Emanuel did the same thing. For years, I've been doing these trials of biblical characters. I defended Abraham. I defended Moses. I defended David. I defended Noah. And then suddenly they decided, even though 1,600 people would come to these trials, They decided I was canceled. The cancellation was done by the president of the synagogue, a man named Harris Diamond, uh, a man with a very questionable reputation himself. He was an ad man who made his fortune uh, selling terrible products um, uh, and uh, dangerous products and unhealthy products. But he became suddenly the great spokesman for morality and he said the people of of, of, of Temple Emanuel don't want to hear Alan Dershowitz. So instead... They paid a large fortune of money to Peter Beinhart to come to speak at Temple Emmanuel and to make the case against Israel being allowed to exist as the nation state of the Jewish people. So I'm not allowed to defend Israel or defend Jewish values at the 92nd Street Y or at Temple Emmanuel, but Peter Beinhart, who goes around making money, calling for the end of Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, is welcomed with open arms. Shame on you, Rabbi. Shame on you, President. Shame on everybody who's part of this McCarthyism.
1: Now, when did this go into effect? Just recently. Just recently. Recently, Wow. Yeah. So when you reached out to them to speak to them, what did they tell you?
0: Well, they said they don't believe anything. They don't believe this. Look, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, Gufreg's own lawyer has said, that that I was not involved, that it was a mistake, that she was wrong, simply wrong. Um, she has emails in which she admits she never heard of me and never met me. There's no doubt that I never had any improper contact with anybody. I've had sex with one woman during the relevant period of time, my wife of um, almost 40 years. And, and and so it's a made-up story. But because it's out there, the president of the synagogue, Harris Diamond, this Erlich Mensch, who um, himself should be looking in the mirror as to how he made all of his money, he decided not to let me speak. And the rabbi didn't have the courage to stand up to him. The rabbi said he would like to help have me speak, but rabbis don't make those decisions. Presidents of congregations uh, do. And so, uh, you know, Temple Emmanuel, which has had a terrible history when it comes to Jewish issues, terrible history when it came to um, uh, Israel. Um, it was, of course, among the leaders of not wanting to recognize Israel. A terrible history when it came to McCarthyism of the 1950s and a terrible history uh, in general about not supporting uh, strong Jewish values uh, suddenly is now turned against me and in favor of Peter Beinhart. And I'm fighting back. I'm not going to simply shush still about this because it doesn't only affect me. It means the young people can't hear how to make the case for Israel. It means the young people who are going off to college. And I have to tell you, it not only affects them, the Ramaz school, the Ramaz school, a great high school, canceled me as well. They They, did too?
1: On what grounds did they cancel you? Same same thing?
0: Same thing. They won't tell me. You know, they won't tell me. They just say, we don't want to make trouble. So they had asked me, the headmaster had asked me to please come without fee and speak to their students and tell them, how they should deal with the growing anti-Semitism on college. And I said, yes. And then I got a call from the headmaster saying, sorry, we're going to have to postpone this until a better time. Well, there's never been a better time. And the Ramah School has denied its children, its high school seniors and juniors, the ability to hear me. I'm probably the most experienced person in the world in dealing with anti-Semitism on colleges. And just because a couple of machas from the board Uh, didn't want trouble and didn't want to be associated uh, with somebody who they didn't approve of for some reason, Uh, the students at Ramaz and the people who listen at the 92nd Street Y and the congregants at Temple Emanuel have been denied the ability to listen to me. You know what effect this has? If Jewish institutions ban me, it makes it much easier for colleges to say, oh, look, Jewish synagogues don't want them. We don't have to have them either to speak on college campus and it sends a terrible message to young people. Uh, young people used to say, gee, we admire Dershowitz, we would like to follow in his footsteps, become an advocate for Israel and then this is the way the leadership of the Jewish community uh, treats me, uh, based on a false accusation, which they all admit a false. I offered to come mm-hmm. to the board, present the evidence, no, the board doesn't want to hear from you. I offered to go in front of the congregants and Show them the evidence. No, no, no. We can't do that because the president, Harris Diamond, the ad man, uh, doesn't want to um, hear you have you speak to his congregants. Who is he? I mean, he's a, a rich guy who made money in in, in very questionable ways uh, with very questionable clients. I'll compare, you know, my clients and his clients. Uh, I don't love my clients. I don't sell a product. I just defend people under the Constitution. He was selling products that hurt people. And uh, yet he's making these moral decisions about me. So let me
1: ask you this question. Do you have any legal recourse in a situation like this? There's free speech so they can say, well, we can pick and choose who we want to choose. Of is course. there a legal recourse or any recourse? No, no,
0: my, my recourse is to get on your show and use my free speech to condemn them and to make sure that people who are members of Temple Emanuel Uh, go to the rabbi and go to the president and say, what are you doing? People who go and listen at the 92nd Street Y are saying to their people, what are you doing? People who have kids in the Ramah school should say to the headmaster, what the heck are you doing? Why are you denying the students at the Ramah school the right to hear from, uh, probably the most uh, experienced person in the world on the issue of how to combat anti-Semitism, in uh, in colleges and universities,
1: can I make a recommendation?
0: Sure, please. Maybe
1: get a venue nearby because they're not that far from each other. Temple Emmanuel from Mod School, Ninety Second Street. Why maybe get a venue and put them all on trial? And put and, and, so, and put so here. Yeah. If
0: the, if the synagogue in the area wants to invite me to continue to do the trials, there are plenty more people to put on trial. We can put E.O. of Job on trial. Uh, we can put Ecclesiastes on trial. Uh, There are so many people we could put on trial. These trials are fascinating. So let's put Temple Emanuel on trial.
1: Exactly. That's my point.
0: Second Street Y on trial. Correct. Let's put Mahz School on trial. So, yeah, I I welcome uh, any rabbi or any head of the congregation in the area, the Upper East Side, or I'll do it on the Upper West Side, and let's get a lot of people, and let's put the Temple Emanuel on trial. Uh, We'll invite the rabbi. We'll invite this character, Diamond. Uh, to come and defend his position. I guarantee Diamond, who is willing to sell any product, uh, will not come. And uh, the rabbi will feel upset. The rabbi is an old friend of mine. I like him very much, but he doesn't have any courage to stand up to the president of the board. And so we'll have an empty chair uh, where anybody from Temple Emanuel, from Ramaz, or from um, um, the 92nd Street Y can appear and defend their conduct. They won't do it they're going to be terrified uh, of public exposure. And that's why public exposure is so important. And that's why your show is so important, because your show holds leaders of the Jewish community accountable. The problem is for so many years, starting with the Shoah, and I don't want to make any comparisons. You never make comparisons with the Shoah. But starting with the Roosevelt administration, Jewish leaders have refused to stand up to bigotry, have refused to stand up to wrong decisions. Uh, They have been cowards, and that cowardice has to stop. And we have to know who our enemies are. We have to know who our friends are. Peter Beinhart is our enemy. He wants to end the nation state of Israel. I am a friend of the Jewish people. I am a friend of Israel. I am a friend of Zionism. I am an enemy of anti-Semitism. And to silence me and to send a message to colleges all over the country, all over the world, um, that it's okay to silence Alan Dershowitz. After all, we, the Jewish community, Emmanuel, what could be more establishment than Emanuel? 92nd Street Y, the establishment place, and the Ramaz School, very establishment place in the Orthodox Jewish community. What could be better evidence that we should ban Dershowitz than that the Jewish community leadership has banned him? So we have to fight back. It's not about me. I have plenty of places to speak. I'm 83 years old. I don't need to make another speech. I've made plenty of them. I'm about to write my 50th book. Wow. Uh, The last couple have not, however, been allowed to be uh, 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 talked about at the 92nd Street Y. And by the way, I offered the Temple Emanuel to talk about Israel, to talk about vaccines, to talk about the constitutionality. No, we don't want you to talk about any subject. You're in harem. I'm not sure many people in the reform movement understand what Khera means, but in effect, that's what the rabbi told me, that I am not, as a person, allowed to set foot in Temple Emmanuel and make a speech to its congregants, even if all the congregants want me to speak. They're going to make the decision for them.
1: We're speaking with Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Avi Dershowitz. As, As you heard, his 50th book is coming up but is being banned from speaking in a variety of locations. So this is not only true in Manhattan. The truth is you're very popular among the masses, but yet in Martha's Vineyard, they don't let you speak. Other places criticize you for defending Trump. What's happening to us? We used to be able to have a civil conversation. You were a top liberal Democrat, and you're not at home in your party. So where are you at home today?
0: I'm not at home. You know, I think generally Jews are never at home. Uh, we can't ever be comfortable. You know, there's a great line in Shakespeare in The Merchant of Venice when they finally ask Shylock, you've really converted to Christianity. Is it true? Are you now a Christian? Are you no longer Jewish? His response that Shakespeare wrote is, I am content, which proves he's not a Jew. No Jew has ever been content. Uh, and no Jew has ever been at home. You know, we used to be at home on the left. We're not at home at the left anymore. Um, Today, many Jews are more comfortable in the center and, and on the right. Uh, so I'm not at home in Martha's Vineyard. I had a good friend. I used to help him a lot, and it helped his daughter get in college. His name was Larry David, who does the show Curb Your oh. uh-huh. He saw me on the porch of the Chilmark store over the summer. He starts screaming at me. I thought he was going to have a stroke. You know, he 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 admired me and liked me until I defended President Trump's constitutional rights, in front of the Senate. Then he wouldn't talk about it. I said, Larry, can we talk? No, we can't talk. You're despicable. It's despicable. What you did is despicable. It's pure McCarthyism. I remember McCarthyism. You're too young. But I was uh, in college, uh, high school, during McCarthyism. And I defended the rights of communists to speak, even though I opposed communism. And I have defended the rights of everybody to speak. But, um, you know, my rights to speak have not been um, defended. You know, I'm reminded of the great uh, Reverend uh, Neumeier who uh, said, you know, when the Nazis came uh, for the trade unionists, they didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. When they came for the communists, they didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. When they came for the Jews, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then when they finally came for me, there was no one to speak up. So, again, without making any analogies ever, 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 uh, just remember that if I'm banned, you're banned, you're next. And... Uh, if my views on Israel are not acceptable at uh, 92nd Street Lion, Temple Emmanuel and the Ramah School, uh, who knows what comes next. So we have to fight back.
1: But question, though, is, though, let's look at the Democratic Party. It's changed as we move more to the left, more progressive. You still belong to the Democratic Party, but it's not the same Democratic Party that it was 10 years ago. So you're not at home. Can Jews really be at home with the Democratic Party today the way it is? I'm not talking well, about New York. I'm talking beyond New York.
0: Or can they be at home with the Republican Party that has in it, at the most extreme side, obviously some anti-Semites and anti-Israel people as well? No, it's much greater in the Democratic Party. The squad is much more influential on the Democratic side than the three or four extremists, anti-Semites in the Republican Party are in the Republican Party. I remain a Democrat in order to try to influence the Democratic Party. For example, when Keith Ellison ran for chairman of the Democratic Party, I publicly threatened to quit the Democratic Party if he was elected. And I used all of my influence within the party. I called delegates. And I helped to get him not to be the chairman. I want to continue to do that. I voted for Joe Biden. I've known Joe Biden for now it's going to be 42 years. I met him in the 1980 presidential campaign, which I worked for Ted Kennedy. And he was a friend of Ted Kennedy. And I like him as a person. I was at his sukkah when he was the vice president. I've been to the Hanukkah party, etc. I like him, uh, but he has to disassociate himself from the squad from Ilan Omer and from the people who are anti-Zionist and anti-Jewish in the Democratic Party. It's a real problem. And I've written about it. I will continue to write about it. Today, the Democrats hate me because I turned against the Democrats by defending Trump. And the Republicans hate me because I don't want to impeach Biden. And I've gotten all this nasty email. How can you be a real civil libertarian, if you're allowing Biden. Yeah, but it's to... not up
1: to, not up to you to impeach Biden. It's up for the Congress to do so. You could defend or, 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 or challenge him, but that's, that's a congressional It's not up to you. Even if you wanted to, it's not your domain.
0: The, the emails say I should advocate Congress uh, impeaching him. I should be on the side of impeachment. I'm not on the side of impeachment. I wasn't on the side of impeaching Clinton. I wasn't on the side of impeaching Trump. I'm not on the side of impeaching Biden, and if Hillary Clinton had been elected, I wouldn't have been on the side of impeaching her. I don't believe impeachment should be used for political purposes. It should be, only be used if a person commits criminal-type behavior akin to treason and bribery. I made that speech on the floor of the Senate, and I stand by that. I wrote a book about it called Defending the Constitution. And so that's my position, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or a Republican who's being threatened with impeachment.
1: What do you make of the January sixth hearings that keep going on and what took place where it seems to be an ongoing thing and they're looking to have people testify, like Mark Meadows who claiming that he has a privilege of dealing with the president and not mm-hmm. revealing things constitutionally, where are they coming from? Because they seem to be disregarding that.
0: They are. Mark Meadows is a hundred percent right in not being willing to testify. Look what happened on January sixth was an outrage. It was terrible. Um, I am actually defending one of the young men who was a law school student who came there not to enter the Capitol, came there and kind of was swept up and he did trespass. He didn't hurt anybody. And he left when he was told to leave. Um, and um, I would certainly defend the actions of Mark Meadows, who was a very uh, good person uh, and who was doing the right thing. If I were called to testify, look, I've given advice to every president Uh, over the last 30 years. I've given advice to President Clinton. I've given advice to President Bush. I've given advice to President Obama. I've given advice to everybody and and President Trump. And if I were called to give testimony about the advice I gave, I would refuse. I'm saying, no, you can't make me do that. It's privilege. In some cases, it's privilege by lawyer-client because I had a lawyer-client relationship with both Clinton and with uh, Trump. In other instances like Obama, it's privileged by by executive privilege. He called me into the Oval Office. We sat there for a long period of time talking about options regarding Iran. And I gave him my detailed advice. I'm not going to share that with you um, and, unless he gives me authorization to do it. Uh, but that's when somebody like Mark Meadows, who was chief of staff, uh, gives advice to the president, that's clearly constitutionally protected by the executive privilege. Just the way Uh, Congress is protected by their own privilege. You can't question congressmen in any other place about things they said or did while, while serving as members of Congress. Why won't they give the same constitutional protection to members of the executive branch?
1: We're speaking with Harvard Law Professor Emeritus, Alan Avi Dershowitz. 50 books uh, is what he's written. Well, actually, forty-nine, fiftieth is coming out soon. We're looking at free speech and we're looking at the right to express yourself and be accepted by society.
0: Here's the 50th. It's not out yet, but it's. What's the 50th uh, book called? <laughs> I finished it, yeah. What's it called? It's called The Price of Principle How Refusing to Choose Partisan Size. Of course, jobs, reputations, and friendships.
1: So how do we get out of this? Cause it seems like it's getting worse, not getting better. People, I heard people don't listen. I'll be honest with you. The only time I had almost had a fist fight at my Shabbos table at a supporter of Donald Trump and a supporter of Hillary Clinton and it almost came to blows. I never seen that happen before. People are so passionate about it. Jews, maybe more so than other people. I don't know. But what's happening to us? Because we're no, not I, able to communicate. I, I,
0: were close to me, he probably would have taken a swing he probably actually, have...
1: actually, actually was the Clinton supporter who wanted to hit the trump supporter
0: yeah he, <laughs> I, Larry I think Larry David would have hit me if he could have well wow. uh, you know I'm in pretty good shape for an eighty three year old so I don't want to say I could take him on, but uh, I'd prefer not to resolve it uh, by fisticuffs I'd prefer to resolve it by having a decent conversation and and there are some people with whom I can do that i the day I was on the porch and Larry David came. I happen to be having lunch with a friend of mine who's a very hard left lawyer very he's left of the of the squad, very hard left um and 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 we're friends we talk, we argue. he thinks that defending Trump was a terrible thing. Uh, we fight about Israel, but we argue, we discuss, we have conversations we don't refuse to talk to each other that's the American way that's the Jewish way. Remember the Talmud is the only The only religious document back in the time that ever preserved dissenting opinions. Uh, Talmudic dissenters were honored. Christian dissenters and Muslim dissenters were hanged and burned at the stake. Uh, Judaism has always had discourse, dialogue, um, and you know the the great the great Rabbi Sachs of Ashkelon, who died uh, now it's a a year ago, I think. Uh, had this uh, thing called dialogue and discourse. He could talk to anybody. He can talk to reform. He can talk to Muslims. He could talk to anybody. He was a, a, a greatly gifted man in his ability to converse and dialogue. I thought I could talk to anybody. I've talked to people on every side of every issue. But today, people on the hard left will not talk to me. And what's worse, people in the leadership of the Jewish community will not allow me to speak to their congregants and their students. So I hope all of you who are listening, if you have any connections to Emmanuel, let them know your views. You have any less any any references, any connections to the Ramaz School. Tell them what are they doing, denying their students? Did you try
1: speaking to Rabbi Haskell Luxtein from who's the founder of Ramaz? Have you tried Well I just
0: spoke to the headmaster. The headmaster said he'd get back to me. Maybe he would postpone it. Maybe he would do it. And I didn't attack them. Uh, for many, many months. And then friends of mine said, all right, we'll work it out. We'll call. They'll get back to you and you'll be able to speak. Well, that's been a few months now and they haven't responded. So the time now is to out them. The time has come now to make a public uh, attack and criticism of them and to make them uh, put up with shut up one way or the other. Either tell the world that you have canceled and banned Alan Dershowitz and refused to allow him to speak to your students or change your policies and invite me. But you can't just stay silent and refuse to answer and muddle through. That's not an option.
1: Now, my question to you is, did you try to Rabbi Haskell Lukstein? He's not the founder of him, but he certainly was the one in charge and still has a lot of influence in the community. So I wonder if you reached out to him regarding I have the not. situation. I'm,
0: I've been a friend of the Luksteins for years. I knew uh, Rabbi Joseph Lukstein. He sent me to Russia to uh, deal with Soviet Jewry. Um, he and I and Haskell and the 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 Lukstein family have been centrally involved in the fight for Soviet Jewry. And they asked me to lead the legal campaign along with Telford Taylor. But I didn't want to go above the head of the headmaster because it was his decision, not Rabbi Luxtein's decision. I don't even know whether Rabbi Luxtein knows about this. He's going to hear Probably about not. it. Probably he, not. He's going to hear about it now.
1: Right uh, after this show, yes.
0: Yeah. But um, I'm happy to hear from Rabbi Lukstein. I'm happy to hear from the headmaster. I'm happy to hear that maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe they were planning to call me. I don't think they were planning to call me. I think they were planning to have this story disappear. Well, you have to know me. I don't make stories disappear. I, I If I'm uh, attacked, if the Jewish community is attacked, if Zionism is attacked, I'm going to fight back. Uh,
1: looking at the trial, rarely Jeffrey Epstein is dead. So just, just Elaine... Maxwell looks like she's being tried for being Jeffrey Epstein.
0: I think that's right. And the question is, what about the credibility of the witnesses? The woman who accused me isn't being called by the government because they know she's lying. Um, Her own lawyers have said she's wrong, simply wrong. Um, For example, she testified that uh, Leslie Wexner and her had sex between five and ten times and that he made her wear Victoria's Secret type lingerie, Leslie Wexner. And yet her own lawyer. Bradley Edwards, said in a video interview that Leslie Wexner is entirely innocent, he's telling the truth, he never did anything wrong, he never even saw her engage in any improper. So here you have my accuser being called a perjurer by her own lawyer. Her other lawyer, David Boys, said in a recorded interview with me that she's wrong, simply wrong, it would have been impossible for me to have been in any of the places she said she met me. Her own emails True, she never even met me. She didn't even know who I was. She had Can to be you
1: sue su- her? Huh? Can you sue her?
0: Suing her. I'm suing her and she's suing me. We're in court right now. And it's costing a bloody fortune. You know, being sued and suing are not inexpensive things. And, um, so where
1: is she getting the money from?
0: That's the question. She has a multi-million dollar defense. Well, first of all, she's been paid according to a journalist in Britain, over $10 million.
1: For doing what?
0: For settlements, because she's falsely accused people, and the people don't want to be, quote, Dershowitz. Let me tell you what happened with Leslie Wexner. So she accuses me publicly, and it's in all the newspapers. And then David Boys, her ethically challenged lawyer, um, uh, gets in touch with her and basically sends the message. Um, We're accusing you of the same thing, of having sex with Virginia Gouffre, and uh, we're prepared to sit down and talk about this. Uh, But the message was so clear, if you don't, you'll be Dershowitz. That is, you'll be exposed and you'll be outed. Her own lawyer used the word shakedown. Uh, That is, uh, uh, Leslie Wex's lawyer used the word shakedown. Leslie Wex's wife used the word shakedown. And her own uh, lawyers now said she did nothing wrong with Leslie Wexner. In other words, Virginia Gruffrey committed uh, perjury. Her best friend recently testified in a deposition that she doesn't believe what she's saying, that her best friend's husband said she told him that she never met me, never had anything improper with me, and that she was pressured to name me falsely by her lawyers. So, you know, the evidence is clear and overwhelming, but I am the victim of McCarthyism, sexual McCarthyism, but I'm going to fight back for my reputation. I'm going to fight back for my integrity. You know, uh, Jewish law uh, talks about objective justice. Lo takir ponim, tzedek tir dof. You have to do justice. Al pishnayim Uh there are no witnesses. I said from day one there'd be no witnesses because it didn't happen and that I would prove through the documentation that it couldn't have happened. And I've done that. But not enough for the 92nd Street Y, not enough for Temple Emanuel, and apparently not enough for Rama school.
1: We have a few moments left. Have you spoken to Joe Biden since he became president? No,
0: I haven't. Um, I've spoken to him many times in the past. I have a great story. Uh, When I was in the White House once, and um, the phone rang while I was talking to the vice president, and You know, I had to apologize. I said, my grandson is learning now whether he got into Harvard college or not. He said, take the call, take the call. And I took the call. And my grandson told me he got to Harvard. And and Joe grabbed the phone and got himself on video and said, hey, Lyle, great job getting into Harvard. Now be smart and go to the University of Delaware. It's a better school. (laughs) So that's Joe Biden. He can be a very funny guy, a very sweet guy. And I have had no contact with him since he... He got into office, but uh, he certainly knows my views.
1: But let me ask you this: You know him for a long time. Has yeah. he changed? He became president. He seems like his policies, the way he's doing, including with Iran, it just, and the way he's dealing with the Afghanistan. I'm not sure who's running the show. Is he really running the show? In your opinion?
0: Well, you know, he appointed some very, very good people. You know that five of the top people in the administration, five of the top five or six are Jewish. The Attorney General is Jewish. The Secretary of State is Jewish. The Secretary of the Treasury is Jewish. Homeland Security is Jewish. And the Chief of Staff are Jewish. So, you know, he certainly has never used any kind of anti-Jewish discrimination in picking the people around him. And I know most of those people, and they're very smart. Um, I was not happy with the way Afghanistan was, was handled. I'm not happy with Iran, although we haven't seen what's going on with Iran. I'm hoping that Tony Blinken, who is a very bright guy, his stepfather uh, was Sam Pissar, who used to be referred to as the French Alan Dershowitz, and I would be referred to as the American Sam Pizar. He was a Holocaust survivor, who was the greatest lawyer, great lawyer in in Paris. Um, It's hard for me to believe that Tony would ever do anything that would undercut Israel's security. So I'm really hoping that uh, we stand up to Iran and 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 keep the promise that all American presidents have made—that under no circumstances will Iran ever be permitted to develop nuclear weapons. I got that as a direct pres- uh, promise from President Obama. I said to him, "Mr. President, there are those in your administration who want to contain Iran. That is, let them get the bomb, and we'll use containment. And and I don't approve of that. We have to stop them from getting the bomb." And he said to me, Alan, you know me well enough, I'm not going to bluff you, we will never allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. It's not containment, it's prevention. So I'm hoping that aspect of the policy uh, continues through whatever administration is in power. You know, we all hope that military force doesn't have to be used. But if it does, as a last recourse, it's better to use military force to prevent Iran from developing a nuclear bomb than to allow Iran to have a bomb that could end Israel. Remember, the head of Iran, Rafsanjani, once said, "Israel is a one-bomb state. All you have to do is drop one bomb, and Israel is over. Um, and he said, if we were to drop a bomb on Israel, we'd kill, you know, 5 million Jews, and they would retaliate, and they would kill 20 million Muslims. But he said the trade-off would be worth it, because Islam would survive, and Israel would not. We can't let a country whose leaders make those kind of apocalyptic claims get a bomb. So I'm sure they're they're, no walking,
1: they're really running circles around us. They've made major improvements and they've used it. In fact, the irony is when Donald Trump ended the agreement, they didn't do as much as they're doing now under the Biden administration as far as ramping up the the research and ramping up the centrifuges. And the, they're moving at an accelerated pace right now. And they're really going beyond uh, the United States and also the inspectors. They're really, really taking advantage.
0: There's no doubt about that. And of course, there are two sides to the issue. Um, the supporters of President Biden say that's the fault of Trump getting out of the deal. It was getting out of the deal. That gave them the green light to go forward. Others say, no, they would have been going forward anyway. And in any event, they didn't move so quickly during the Trump administration, they're moving more quickly during the Biden administration. These are empirical, factual issues, and I'm not uh, uh, in a position to know what the truth is. The important thing is keep the pressure on, make sure the sanctions remain, and make sure that uh, there's always an opportunity to do whatever is necessary to prevent Iran from developing a nuclear capacity.
1: Finally, how's the Chabad House in your house in Martha Vineyards coming along?
0: It's fantastic. It's already
1: it's, up operational?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had oh. a great we had a great event the other night and there was a great Hanukkah event and uh, the young rabbi uh Tsiv It's fantastic and and we have good supporters and you know the only shul in Martha's Vineyard, the Reformed Temple has been very anti-Israel. And again, it banned me as well, but it banned me on my Israel position completely. Beinert speaks there all the time, but you know, Dershowitz doesn't get to speak there because he's too pro-Israel. So we want an alternate synagogue where we can be proud Zionists, proud Jews, where we welcome people who are reformed, conservative, orthodox, Haredi, whatever, um, and and we're planning to have a great Chabad at Harvard. Look, one of the proudest things of my life was to help establish Chabad at Harvard. It was the first Chabad in any university in the world. Now there are Chabads in dozens and dozens of universities all over the world, all as the result of what happened at Harvard. So it's one of the proudest accomplishments in my life. And I wanna continue that by establishing a Chabad on Martha's Vineyard that can compete Give alternative views to the Reform synagogue, and uh, and and have a little Yiddish kite on the vineyard, uh, and Zionism and unapologetic Zionism. That's what's important. If the
1: kiddish is good, maybe Larry David will come. No, no, there's <laughs> no. no way
0: you could have eighty-two Bordeaux worth five thousand dollars. Larry David, I don't think would ever set foot in a synagogue. Uh, certainly would never set foot in a Chabad synagogue unless he wanted material uh, for a curvy enthusiasm. You know, he once asked me, is it true, he said, that Orthodox Jews have sex with their wives through a hole in the sheet? And uh, I, I said, know, I was an Orthodox Jew for a long, long time. And it's not something I ever heard of. So, But I don't remember if he put it on the show or not. But he always has had... He's always race. looking to undermine uh, very stereotyped views, of particularly orthodox Jews.
1: Professor Alan Avi Dervit, thank you for all that you do to defend Israel, to defend Judaism, for making a Chabad house, and not just some Martha's Vineyard, but you said the first one at Harvard University.
0: I want to Look, continue to do it for as many years as Hashem gives me this
1: 120 time. plus. Uh,
0: and I'll set 100. We're looking
1: forward to your 50th book.
0: Yeah, okay, well, put, get me on. It'll be on sometime probably mid-January, and we'll talk about oh, it. Oh, coming on, yes, we'll do it again. Great. Okay. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast? Or perhaps a TV program? TalkLine Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevrenner at com. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com, or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or JewishPodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalklineNetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.